right, if you have your Bibles, go with me this morning to the book of Matthew. And just as a reminder, uh, we will not have class this Tuesday uh, night, but it will pick up next week. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we're thankful for your word, and we just ask, Lord, that you speak to our hearts, God, and let us learn the lessons, God, that you want us to glean, that it'll help direct our life. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Has any, anyone in here ever had a problem understanding authority? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I mean, we, we would never let a security guard pull us over to give us a ticket, right? But that's exactly what happened. I had a friend that was a security guard, and a lady cut him off in traffic, and he let his badge go to his head. He chased her down the road, got up beside her, and she looking over at him, and she, he started pointing to his badge. If she'd have looked at it, she would have noticed it said security guard. And he started pointing to that badge, and she pulled over, and boy, he got out and gave her a going over for cutting him off in traffic. Well, she ended up calling the police, and the police found him and gave him a going over for impersonating an officer. So, you know, you can get yourself in trouble if you don't understand authority. A badge on your chest does not make you Matt Dillon. And so you've got to be able to understand authority. It can get you in trouble in school, too, if you don't understand authority. You know, when the teacher tells you to do something and you smart mouth the teacher, or it can get you in trouble with your parents. I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with uh, one of my children one time. Jonathan was a, the youngest umpire they had on record. He was calling games at 13 years old and throwing people out of the ballpark. <laughs> parents would get crossways with him and he, he tossed a few parents out and I had to go up there and protect him after the game was over. You know, and then, but Jonathan had a problem understanding authority because he was trying to bring the umpire status into the house. And he was uh, having a little bit of trouble understanding that. And I set him down. And I said, son, I said, I understand what your problem is. I said, when you get out on the ball field, I said, you're used to calling the shots because you're the umpire. But that ends when you walk through these doors. You're not, you, everybody say, I need to understand authority. <clears throat> well, you're not the first person that ever had that problem. So let's take a look at Matthew, the eighth chapter, starting with the 23rd verse. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be 
that even the winds and the sea obey him. I want you to fathom being in a ship and all of a sudden a storm coming up. When I was in Israel, I sailed on the Sea of Galilee, but I was in a ship that would hold 150 people. It was a motorized boat, and we were going across there, and I asked them about the storms that came up on the sea because I was trying to grasp this because, honestly, the Sea of Galilee is not very big, but it's surrounded by mountains. And they explained to me, they said, storms can come up so quick because what happens is the wind picks up from these mountains and it will swoop down over that sea and you can go from calm to chaos in an instant. And he told me about having a tour on that sea in that big boat when a windstorm picked up and they said, oh, the people, they were crying, grown men crying. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? We're in this great big boat. He said it was rocking that boat and he said they were so afraid. The disciples weren't in a boat like that. The disciples were in a boat that was small. It was a fishing boat, and it wasn't motorized. So when those waves picked up and that wind picked up and started tossing it back and forth, man, they thought they were going to die. But there's one problem. They forgot that they weren't in the boat alone. You've got to recognize that when you're in the middle of a storm, he's right there with you. That when things begin to go chaotic in your life, you're not sailing alone. He's there. He's in the midst of it. He's promised I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll go with you to the ends of the world. They run over to him and they begin to wake him up and say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And when he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and there was a great calm, they looked and and they understood his authority because they saw it. They said, what manner of man is this? But they didn't understand who he was. They were questioning what manner of man is this? I'm telling you that until we get this resolved in our heart and in our head, we're always going to find ourselves in storms. We'll find ourselves wringing our hands instead of lifting our hands and praising him. It's true that they were in the midst of the storm, but we need to learn how to focus on the one that is in the ship with us instead of the storm that surrounds us. Did you ever consider when you read that about what was happening? I mean, isn't that pretty amazing that these guys are, I mean, they're they're scared to death. They think that they're getting ready to die. But yet Jesus is resting in that ship. He's in there with the storm too. And they're running back and forth, but he's, got his head laid over with his eyes closed, resting. What I'm saying is this, is because he understood his authority and he understood who he was or who he is. When we get that, then our storms won't throw us into panic attacks. Have you ever seen anybody just go from, I mean, you know, that anything happens and they just go wild? 
You know what I'm talking about? You got somebody like that in your life? You sit next to me. No, I'm kidding. That you know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, man, any, any little thing can happen. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, it's, and, and I'm telling you, they, they, get, they will get bent out of shape. They'll get all worked up in a sweat. And, it, and sometimes it's over nothing. They, you, if our response is always a knee-jerk reaction to, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't, what's that speak about our relationship with him? He's in that same storm with you. He's not standing on the shore looking and saying, oh, I hope they make it. He's right in the boat with you. He's going through it with you. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, he's right there. <laughs> he's in it with you. I remember years ago, I was, uh, my first trip to Russia, I went as part of a group. My second trip, I went leading a group. As a matter of fact, when they sent me the itinerary, the tour company I was traveling with had listed my name as the American tour guide. And I called him up. I said, what are you doing putting me down as an American tour guide? I, I'm not going to see. I had 10 people on that trip, but they had added another 13, so there were 23 people. And I'm thinking those other 13 people were there just there to have a good time and sightseeing. I said, man, I, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not doing that. And, and they said, but you're the only one that's been there before, and they're afraid to send people over there by themselves. You, you know, that's why they listed you. I said, I am not going to be the American tour guide. They said they're going to comp your trip. I said, I will be glad to be the American tour guide. So I was the American tour guide. Coming home, we got in the airport, and I don't know how many of you have ever traveled before, but sometimes they overbook flights. This was my first overseas venture. And so, well, my second one, I'd been, but I was just, you know, I didn't have any hiccups when somebody else was doing it. <laughs> Isn't that the way it usually goes? It's when we're in charge that things start happening. And if you're not careful, you'll allow the storm to take control of you. So I got up at the counter, and when I got up at the counter, the lady said, you know, I, I handed her my ticket, and she said, I'm sorry, we have no room for the, on the plane for you. I said, you want to run that by me again? <laughs> there's, there's no room on the plane for you. I said, ma'am, I got a ticket right here. It's got my seat number on it. I said, did you sell my seat to somebody else? And they said, well, we overbooked these flights, and so, you know, you're not going to be able to get on. And I had... Remember, I had 10 people with me, but I had 13 that weren't with me. Well, most of those people had made the flight, but a couple guys that weren't on, in my group hadn't got on the plane. And they started going ballistic. One was, uh, you know, uh, an older, he was probably in his, one of them was probably in his 50s. The other was his daddy. And all of a sudden they go, ah, I'm getting on a plane. You can't keep me here. You've got to get me on a plane soldiers started walking across the airport toward us. you got to understand, back then it wasn't run by the Friendly Skies of United. It was run by the KGB, and here they come. And man, as they started walking over there, I'm trying to calm these two guys down. I said, you know, take it easy, take it easy. And they're still coming. I, take it easy, man, just calm down, calm down. They're still coming. I said, shut up! <laughs> I said, if you'll be quiet, I'll get you on this flight. I looked at that lady. I said, you tell me that there's no seats on this plane? They said, well, we've still got three seats. I said, put these two on it. 
I said, now you're okay. You're going to be on a plane. I looked at the others. There were still seven besides myself. And I said, any of you want to go on that? And they said, no, we're staying with you. So we got them on the flight and we were stuck and stranded in Russia. Of course, I found out later that when they got to New York, a big snow came and they got snowed in the airport. <laughs> they had to spend the night in the airport there. And in the meantime, Russia decided that they were going to fly us to Finland. They put us up in a hotel. It was called the Intercontinental Hotel. It was voted that year the best hotel in the world. And they gave us $140 to spend. Your storm can turn into your greatest blessing if you'll just not panic. Turn around, look at your name and say, don't panic. He's in the ship. They, they didn't realize what they were doing. They were blowing and going, and they ended up missing a blessing. Next time we went, I said, do you need anybody to stay back? <laughs> you see, when you recognize that the storm doesn't always have to bring chaos. That sometimes a storm brings a great blessing. And in this case, the storm brought an awareness that the person that we're following is more than just a man. Oh, they begin to understand something about his authority. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can I tell you that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Nothing about him has changed. In whatever storm you're in, you are not in it alone. He's in the midst of your ship, and he's telling you, don't panic. Don't, don't begin to get... To begin to just you know go off the chart just hang on I thought about the fact that he slept in that storm how many of you have had storms rob you of your sleep rob you of your peace but when you begin to recognize who he is see he said my peace I leave with you not peace that the world gives, my peace. And how many of you know that he's still the prince of peace? Amen. No matter what you're going through, he can get you through if you just get your focus on him. Let me say it one more time. Focus on the one that's in the ship with you rather than the storm that's surrounding you. In Mark, the ninth chapter, starting with the 17th verse, there's an encounter of a man. It says, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they couldn't. Then they brought him to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I want you to hear that phrase again. But if you can do anything, this man doesn't understand his authority or his power. He's questioning, can you do anything? 
Jesus in that next verse would say, all things are possible to those that believe. If you can believe, all things are possible. One translation rendered that and said, and Jesus looked down and said, what do you mean if I can do it? If you can do anything. You see, when we begin to question whether or not God has the authority or the power, it exposes something. We don't understand who he is. Because if you understood who he is, we would understand that all power is given him in heaven and earth. How many times have we approached God and said, God, do you see what I'm going through? Friend, he not just sees what you're going through, he's going through it with you. He's right in the ship with you, and he's not allowing the storm to cause him to lose faith. It's as if though we think Jesus never had a storm. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he began to pray, Lord, my Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me? He was going through a storm. But he would not allow the storm to shake his faith. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And when they hacked off one of the high priest's servant's ears, Jesus told him, put your sword up. Don't you know that even now I could call and he would send legions of angels? What was he saying? Don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand my power? They're not taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. And I'm going to pick it back up. Look, just because you're going through something doesn't mean it's the end of the road or the end of the line. You need to understand that God has got a blessing waiting for you. Don't abandon the ship in the middle of the storm. If you can do anything. And he said, all things are possible to those that believe. Look at Luke 1 and 37. Luke 1 and 37 makes this statement. For with God, nothing will be impossible. The man is saying, if you can do anything, I don't recognize who you are. I don't understand your power. Everybody say he needed a faith lift. Not a facelift. Faith lift. I've seen some facelifts that really went bad. You know what I'm talking about? You know what amazed me? Celebrities that got big money, but they got, well, I better not say that. They got, they got a lot of money, but not a lot of sense. I mean, if you had the money and you could afford anybody, wouldn't you want a track record? Have you seen what happened to some of these celebrities? I started to put their pictures up, and I thought, no, that's not fair, man. That's like rubbing it in. That's... Have, you, have you seen them? I mean, some of them got lips on them. I'm not like, making fun. I'm just telling you, man. I thought, oh, that poor lady. She looks like her lips are inner tubes. They're just, you know, if she stuck her head out the window, it'd beat them to death. I mean, it just, just... You know, and I'm thinking, who does that, man? How do they get away with that stuff? I've seen some folks. I saw a lady last night. I was Googling this. You Google it, you'll find out. I Googled, you Google botched facelifts. One poor woman was looking at me. She had one eyebrow here, and the other one was way up here. 
And I thought, how do they do that? How do they mess that up? But see, we don't just have botched facelifts. A lot of times we end up with botched faith lifts. When all of a sudden we begin to equate what we're going through as to whether or not God loves us. Do you understand that if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had done that, they would have never made it out of the fiery furnace because they would have gone in with a faith that was wavering, saying, I don't know if you can do anything. If you were, I don't know if you can, but if you could. But instead, they looked at Nebuchadnezzar and they said, we don't have to think about this. They said, not only is our God able to, he's going to deliver us out of your hand. But there's something I want you to know, that even if he doesn't, I wouldn't bow down and worship your image. I'm not going to give up my walk with God for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, we live in a day and a time where all of a sudden there's so much uncertainty in our world, and we need a faith lift. We need to understand that everything that seems to be spinning out of control is not out of his control. He's still in charge. He's still who he said he was. He said, I'm God, and I change not and we can trust him say it with me I trust you and that man soon discovered that with God nothing is impossible everybody say as a matter of fact what Jesus told him Jesus told him this he said if thou if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes then Luke 1 and 37 said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. What is the root word of impossible? Everybody say it, possible. Can we spell impossible together? I am possible. Now, I am is a contraction of I am. <laughs> And when you understand that he is the I am that I am, then you're going to understand that all things are possible. If you can get that revelation, if you can understand that authority, I am that I am. Well, Moses is looking at him and saying, well, who am I supposed to say sent me to Pharaoh? He's a ruler of the world. You tell him I am that I am sent you. He may be the ruler of Egypt. I'm the ruler of the universe. I've got it. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I am that I am and if I am it's possible for you everybody say it's possible when I am is in control it's possible for you you look at the book of Matthew the 8th chapter it says when he had come down from the mountain great multitudes followed him and behold a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I want you to get this. The last guy didn't understand who he was or his authority. He said, if you could do anything. This guy looked at Jesus and said, you can make me clean. If you're willing he believed he could but he didn't know if he would 
How many of us have been there? He understands his authority, but he doesn't recognize his love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Jesus answers it for the leper, and he answers it for us. He looks at him, and he said, I'm willing. And he made him clean. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what it is that's eating away at you, it was leprosy for that man, but for some of us it's guilt, or for some of us it's, it's anger. Whatever it is that's eating away at you, it may be hurt, it may be heartache, but he's telling you, you don't have to live the rest of your life that way. I love you. I am, and because I am, it's possible for you. Not only can I, but I will. And he makes him whole. Everybody say who is he? You know, my fear is that we could go through life not recognizing who he is and what he can do. Oh, you may know someone, but because you know someone doesn't mean you know them. You know, I mean, I knew Elvis Presley. Did I ever tell you that? Me and Elvis were tight. I listened to all of his records. I used to sing Hound Dog with him. What are you laughing about? I did. Of course, he never knew I did. I mean, I, I, I was in my kitchen, and I, I was probably about 12 years old or so, and I turned out all the lights, and my friend held a spotlight on me, held a flashlight, and I grabbed an egg beater out of the kitchen drawer, and you ain't nothing but a hound. Man, me and Elvis had it going on. But he never knew it was happening because I knew him, but I didn't know him. There's a lot of folks that come to church, and they know him, but they don't know him. They're acquainted with him. They've heard about him, but they've never become intimate with him. They've never gotten on that first name basis with him. You mean to tell me you're on a first name basis with God? Absolutely. His name is Jesus. He said, I and my Father are one. What are you saying? I'm saying that we make him so distant from us. And he said that I'm near. I'm close. It's understanding authority that we need. He believed that he could, but wasn't sure if he would. However, there is a man in Scripture that gets it. It's in the Luke, the seventh chapter. He's a soldier. He's not even a Jew, man. He's a soldier. Wouldn't it, wouldn't, doesn't it just stand to reason that it's going to take a soldier to understand authority? Not only is he a soldier, he's a centurion. He's a sergeant, man. He's a captain. This guy is not a foot soldier. He's in charge of over 100 men. And he's got a servant that's sick. 
and he loves this servant. And so he goes to the elders of the Jews and he says, I want you to go and ask him if he'll come and heal my servant. They go to Jesus, man, and they're begging him. They said, please, you know, you've got to heal this man's servant. It's worthy that you should do this for him. He, 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 he loves our nation, and he's built us a synagogue. Rome worshiped emperors, but not this man. This man had built them a synagogue. This man recognized who he was before he came. He's built them a synagogue. He loves our nation. Romans despised the Jews, but not this man. And so when Jesus hears about this man, he heads off to his house. And man, the fellow looks out the window and sees Jesus coming. And as he's coming, he sends servants out. And he says, stop him. And, and, and they go out there and they stop Jesus. And they said, our master sent us to you to tell you that He didn't feel worthy to come out here and talk to you. And he said, and he's sure not worthy for you to step into his home. But he told us to tell you, if you'll just speak the word, his servant will be healed. He said, because he gets it. He understands who you are and what you can do. He understands authority. And Jesus took a step back and said, I haven't seen this kind of faith displayed in all of Israel. Do you understand that when you get it, when all of a sudden you, you, you get who he is and what he can do, it rattles the devil's chain. He doesn't know what to do with a faith like that. He's thinking, man, I'll send a storm their way. I'll get them to Distracted, but when you got that kind of faith and a storm comes, you just say, thank you, Lord, because I know you're going to get me through this storm. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I know what the end result's going to be. I win. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We need to understand who he is. Just speak the word. He understood authority. All you've got to do is speak the word, and my servant is healed. We say, well, pastor, I wish he was around to do that now. I just, I just need him to speak the word. He has. <laughs> Hold it up. You got one? It's a neat book. It don't cost much. But it'll change your life forever. If you've got one in your phone, hold it up. I've got several translations. I can't talk. I've got several translations in my phone. You know what this says? That he's Alpha and Omega. The beginning, the end, the first and the last. I had some guy come up to me at work. When I was working a secular job, I talked to him about the Lord, and he came up to me, and, you know, we were talking about heaven and hell and all these issues. And he walks up to me, and he said, well, when I die, he said, I wind up in hell. He said, I'll just whip the devil, you know, and said a few other choice words. And, man, I had something come over me. And I looked at him, and I said, you think you're bad, don't you? His eyes got about that big, and I took a step toward him. I said, you think you're bad. And I said, let me tell you something, friend. I said, you don't know what bad is until you fall into the hands of a living God. I said, the Bible said it's a 
fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He did not understand who he was, and he did not understand the authority that he had. And I began to talk to him, and man, it shook him up. He came to me three weeks later, and he told me, he said, Rick, I just want you to know, I've been talking to the man upstairs, and he said, and we've got things right. I've straightened some things out. Three weeks after that, he was dead. He'd been, he was on a motorcycle, and a car didn't see him, and he he hit that car, bounced off the windshield, and he was dead on arrival. But can I tell you, because he understood authority, he wasn't worrying about contending with the devil. He was in another place, another place because greater is he. Man, if, you, if we get that, if we stand on that, and we need to do more than just talk talk about it we need to declare it everybody say declare it look at Isaiah 55 and 11 so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it remember who he is return his word to him how do you do that? You speak the word. <laughs> that man understood authority. He said, just speak the word. My servant will be healed. If we understand authority, we're going to speak the word. When we're sick, we're going to stand up and say, by his stripes, I am healed. But you still, you still got a fever. You, you, you still got the mumps. Nothing. Oh yeah, something's changed. My attitude's changed. My heart's changed. I have set myself up to receive what God declared I could have. He said it will not return void. It will accomplish what it was set forth to do. Somebody say, speak the word. You ever take time? Of course, you can't speak it if you don't know it. Can't speak it if you don't read it. I get amazed. Don't anybody get offended at what I'm getting ready to say. But I get amazed at how little Christians know about the Word of God. I mean, do you understand? This is my roadmap to get home. We not, none of, how many of you have used GPS in this building? Raise your hand if you've ever used your GPS. Or, you, you know, whether it was on your phone, Siri telling you where to go. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Hold it up. I want to, hang on. I just want to see it for a second. Why did you use GPS is what I want to know. Huh? Why did you use it? Because you didn't know where you were. You didn't know how to go. Well, let me rephrase that. You knew where you were, but you didn't know how to get to where you were going. So don't tell me. You ever see a guy ask for directions? It's a last resort for a guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm wondering, I'm just in the neighborhood. I was wondering if you might know how. You know, I mean, it's not that I don't know, but I kind of like to know if you know. How do you get to Nashville? from here Nashville you want to know how to get to Nashville 
No, no, I, I want to know if you know how to get to Nashville. Why is it that we are so... I know what I'm talking about, folks. I lived before GPS was born. When there was a road atlas. Thank you all to take a look at that. Have you ever try and drive and your wife tell you where to go? There's <laughs> a few times you just got to pull over and say, let me see that map. <laughs> yeah, we turn right here. How do you know? I remember that cow. <laughs> you think I'm making that up. That's a true story. It's right here. It's right here. I had GPS fail me. I was in Dayton, Ohio, preaching a revival. Pastor said, you need directions? No. GPS. God's protective services. (laughs) There was a solar flare Sunday morning, and it messed up. GPS ability to tell me how to get to where I'm going. You talk about panic. I'm calling the pastor, man. Hey, hey, he's already at church. Hey, hey, what is the problem? I don't know where I'm at. I think we're going to cancel this revival. (laughs) No, he didn't say that. I said, I don't know where I'm at. I said, my GPS is messed up. I said, I need you to tell me. He said, well, can you describe where you are? I'm looking around. I said, I passed a gas station, it's, it, and, you know, and I, I start giving him the names of it. I, I'm looking for street numbers, and he finally figures out where I'm at, and he has to take me street by street to get me to the church. I'm telling you that God is there for us. He's declared his word. He said, I'm not going to leave you hopeless or helpless. He showed us how to make it home. But to get there, you're going to have to get the book out and start to look. And what you're going to discover is greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What you're going to find out is we've been made more than a conqueror through him that loved us. What you're going to be amazed at is he doesn't leave us or forsake us, but he goes with us to the end of the world. And you're going to find out that the devil knows who he is and he trembles. Somebody hear what I'm saying today. When you recognize who he is, when you understand his authority, then the storm will not stop you. Will you stand with me today? Can I tell you, you are not going to get through life without facing storms. But your understanding of his authority and his power is going to determine what kind of an impact the storm has on you. Do you ever find yourself in a storm? This is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but I was a little guy when this happened to me. There was a big wind that came through our neighborhood and it blew a huge beach umbrella into our yard. When I was like in kindergarten, my dad, all the way up kindergarten, first grade, second grade, my dad was always saying, son, you need to eat. 
you need to eat come third grade. He quit telling me that. But I was, I was very thin. I grabbed hold of that umbrella and a gust of wind came by and it started lifting me up off the ground. And I've got, I've got a death grip on this umbrella and my feet are coming up off the ground and I'm thinking, man, I'm getting ready to relive Mary Poppins here right now. And all of a sudden, my brothers grabbed hold of me, grabbed my legs and pulled me down. I want you to hear me. The reason the storm could not carry me away is because I got anchored to someone bigger than I was. When you get anchored in him, the storm will not be able to carry you away. How many of you ready to be able to face your storm down? Wave your hand at me if you're ready to face your storm down. Matter of fact, how many of you are ready today to say, God, let me have an impact. Let my life make a difference. I don't want to live my life feeling like I'm constantly being beat down or beat on. I want my life to make a difference for you. How many of you are ready for that to happen? I want to share this story with you. We're going to pray together at the end of this. Are you ready? If you've got a special need, you can come up and we'll pray for your special need. But we're going to make a declarative, we're going to do a declarative prayer today about who he is and who we are. I don't know, how many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Smith Wigglesworth? Those of you that haven't, you need to Google him. Smith Wigglesworth was a powerful man of God at the turn of the century. You didn't go up for prayer unless you really needed something because he'd punch you. That's the truth, man. He, I mean, you know, he, he just, and I always told ministers coming up when I was mentoring others, I said, don't try and mimic someone unless you're going to get the same results they got. To give you an idea, Wigglesworth had, he was in a meeting and there's a guy that came up and he was dying of cancer. His physician was with him. They brought, the, this is around the turn of the century in the 1900s. They brought him in on a hospital gurney bed. He's up on stage and Wigglesworth was from Scotland. And he walked up to him and said, what's ailing you? And the doctor said he's dying of cancer. Wigglesworth reached his back punches this guy in the stomach said he's healed guy goes out doctors checking for a pulse the doctor looked at Wigglesworth and said you've killed him you've killed him Wigglesworth looked at me said I said he's healed and he turned around and walked away and started praying for other people well man this doctor's sitting there thinking I can't believe this guy just killed him and all of a sudden in just a few minutes the guy that he was supposed to have killed jumped up shouting running down the stage with his hospital gown <laughs> going I'm healed I'm healed why because Wigglesworth understood who God is his authority his power and he understood who he was. 
So Wigglesworth is at bed, in bed one night, and Lucifer appears to him at the foot of his bed. Say, so how do you know this stuff? I read his biography. Appears at the foot of his bed, and he's gleaming at him. Man, Wigglesworth wakes up out of a dead sleep, and the devil is over him, staring at him, eyes flaming. And Wigglesworth looked at him and said, oh, it's just you. And he turned over and went back to sleep. When you don't allow the devil to impress you, he won't oppress you. This isn't about Wigglesworth being an egotistic. He wasn't. But this man had, he, he had a focus that was single. He wouldn't allow you to bring a newspaper in his home. He made them put it, don't bring that in here. Nothing comes into this house except the word of God. He had one focus and it was God. When his wife died, he came in from a meeting and they said, she's gone, Smith. He ran upstairs, grabbed her up out of the bed and started rebuking death. And she came back to life and he, she looked at him and said, Smith, what are you doing? He said, you can't leave. She said, I've got to go. It's my time. He had a talk with her and laid her back down and let her go back. All these things. This isn't make-believe, folks. This is the reality of a God that's all-powerful. But what we do is we make God insignificant. We make him something we do on Sunday if we got the time. We show up, do our hour and a half stint, and then we see each other next week. No, there's more to him than that. And those of you that love him know what I'm talking about. Because I can't make it a day without him. I got to have him every day. I've got to meet with him in the morning because if I don't, my day isn't going to go right. I've got to have time to spend with him. I've got to get into his word every day. You know what I discovered? By getting into his word every day, his word started getting into me. All of a sudden, I'd, I'd be in the middle of something and didn't even know there was scripture in there rolling around. And man, his power would demonstrate itself and it would show up. He'll use you if you let him. And, and it'll come from someplace you didn't even realize. I, I, let me share this with you and we're going to pray. I've told this before, but I want to tell it one more time. Because I want you to understand how that when you recognize who he is, if you'll let him, he'll order your steps. He'll direct your life. I'm working a secular job, and the guys come running out to me, and they said, Rick, come here. There's somebody we want you to meet. I go outside, and when I get outside, they take me to this man, and this is the way they introduce us. They said, preacher, meet the warlock. Warlock, meet the preacher. And they all stepped back like sparks were going to fly or something. And I looked at the guy and I said, so you're a warlock? He goes, yeah. 
I said, you know, I said, I don't think I've ever met a real-life warlock before. And he looked at me, and he, he, he said, do you believe that? Or he, he said, do you pray to Mary? And I said, no. I said, you know, Mary was a, a holy woman. I said, but she can't answer your prayers. I said, only Jesus can do that. And he looked at me, and he said, well, I don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And before I could stop and think what I was going to say, out of my mouth came these words. It was an election year that year. And out of my mouth came these words. Did you vote for Reagan? And as soon as I said that, I thought, where did that come from? I can't believe I just said that. And the guy's looking at me. And all this is happening within many, I mean, it's within seconds. I said, did you vote for Reagan? And I'm going, where did that come from? And he goes, no, I didn't. And then here it came again. I said, your, your vote didn't keep him from being president. And your vote isn't going to keep Jesus from being the son of God. He's God all by himself. Do you understand? He wants to use you. Man, I think it was like two weeks. This guy comes to me. He's given his heart and life to God. <laughs> Sometimes all you've got to do is plant a seed. And that seed will turn into a great harvest. Somebody say it with me. It's harvest time. <laughs> It's harvest time. Church, God is getting ready to use us in ways we never dreamed of before. But you can't get panicky in the storm. Stretch your hands to heaven with me. If you've got a special need, I want you to come up front while we're praying this. But right now, as you stretch your hands to heaven with me, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you do it? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we trust and believe that you can do anything. All things are possible because you're the I am. That I am, you make it possible for me. So we stand in your presence today and ask you to show yourself real through our lives. Give us the strength and the courage to stand in the storm knowing that it's well with my soul. I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Give my hand a clap of praise. Stretch your hands to heaven. How many of you believe that God is a healer? She said she was losing the vision of her left eye. You know, I was in a meeting several years ago, and a lady came up, and her her eyes, she she couldn't see. And we prayed for her. She, her, her eyes had grown cloudy. I can't explain the medical term of it. Prayed for her. There was no lightning or thunder when she went home on the way home she told her mama she said mom she said my eyes are burning like when I had that laser surgery before the day was over she could see God is a big God come on stretch your hands to heaven see we think we're supposed to heal. we don't heal anybody God does the healing come on stretch your hands this way
Can you just love him with me? As you raise your hands to heaven. There's a reality to God, folks. Sometimes we don't let God be as big as he is. We put him inside of a box, but there are those moments in our life when we need him to show up. I want you to say this with me, Lord, show me your glory. I don't want to hold back. I... about joy unspeakable and full of glory he said I have not seen nor ear heard neither has it entered into the heart of man those things that he's prepared for those that love him and yet we allow the devil to come in and hunker us down and rob our joy everybody say no more no more today is my breakthrough say sing it one more time stretch those hands to heaven I know by faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop now. I know the breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop now. Let me, let me pray over you before we leave and let me just say this to you. Look. When the Lord moves, something's going to happen. I, I, I don't want anybody getting nervous because somebody falls on the ground or somebody starts crying. Or, look, the scripture says no man can see God and live. So if you can't see him and live, when he touches you, something is going to happen, man. You are not going to sit there calm, cool, and collected and say, oh, thanks for the touch, God. There's something is going to happen in you. You may, you may just begin to tremble, you may fall, you may weep, you may cry. I'm not so much concerned about what happens as I am about him touching you. How many of you are ready for a touch right now? Stretch those hands to heaven as I declare a word over you. Father, thank you, God, for our family. 
I ask you, God, to bless them going out and coming in. Let them know that they're the head and not the tail, that they're above and not beneath. God, let us understand your power, your authority, and if you're with us, no one can be against us. We thank you for that now in Jesus' name. God bless you. Give him a hand clap of praise. We love you all.